You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. Somebody ought to take a count this morning because it looks to me like we're bigger than we've been. And that's good. That's great. You came out in the rain. You knew we were going to have a guest speaker, and you came anyway. So I'm glad to look out at you. I often wonder when preachers get up and they look out and see the pews right in front of them are always empty, or seem that way. But you know, preachers have view this way. So you're probably right in my eyesight, and you won't escape. A couple of weeks ago, I was privileged to preach a lesson from Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 9 and going down through verse 31. Took the title from verse 9 of that chapter, where at the last, ver- the last line of it has, here is your God. I've always thought that's a very significant entrance into a very special part of the book of Isaiah. I hope that you have a Bible or one in the pews so that you can turn to the book of Isaiah. First of all, we'll just quickly note Isaiah 40, and then we'll go on to chapter 42. But when we were looking at chapter 40, and that statement that is made, here is your God, the very next two verses, Pictured God as strong, powerful. And at the very next verse, verse 11, he is pictured as a shepherd gently caring for his sheep. But I've also been impressed with verse 12 through verse 14 because it pictures God as creator. Describes the materials that he used, and how he came to the point of giving us what we can look around and see. And so we close that study with the first line of evidence for the existence of God is all around us in creation. There must be an answer. We go out and we look around, and there must be an answer to this. Men have sought other answers, But they don't hold a candle to what you find in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 through 14. And so I want to build on that this morning by moving over to chapter 42. And I hope that you'll be able to follow because I'm simply going to point out some things that are in the text. That's all the lesson will be. And so we look at chapter 42. And the first three words of that chapter are, consider my servant, or behold my servant. Just a moment ago, Freddie read from Matthew chapter 12. And if you were to compare what he read to what we have in Isaiah chapter 42, you would see that Jesus He's calling attention to himself as the fulfiller 
of prophecy. Interestingly, as Freddie read, the very first couple of verses indicate that the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus, and yet large crowds followed him. And that's going to bear on what we see in this prophecy, Isaiah chapter 42. And so bear with me as we look especially at verse 1, because there are two statements that caught my attention. I want to read just a little ways, say down to the verse 4, but we'll come back to verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I behold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he's established justice in the earth. Coastlands will wait expectantly for him. And now go back to verse 1 and take a look at that statement. My chosen one in whom my soul delights. If you were to think of the life of Christ, can you think of an occasion when there was anything like this, a voice saying, this is my chosen one in whom I am well pleased. Can you think? How about the transfiguration? Peter, James, and John are taken up on a mountainside, and there Jesus is transfigured before their eyes. In other words, they saw literally the glory that Jesus had in heaven before he ever came to this earth. And so when the prophecy some six or seven hundred years before the time of Christ is fulfilled, it pauses our thinking. And I might pause just here. Why is it so important to me that we have preached one lesson on the evidence for the existence of God and now for the evidence for his beloved son, so important to us. Because every day, you will face an unbeliever. You'll face a skeptic. You'll face someone who will laugh at your faith if they know anything about you. It's interesting that we don't really talk very much about the evidence that demands a verdict. Yes, years ago in the 70s, Josh McDowell wrote a book entitled Evidence That Demands a Verdict. In one of the chapters in that book, he describes Jesus the man. And his point is this, that those who claim that Jesus never really existed, he was just simply a figment of someone's imagination, don't know the facts. Roman historians, Jewish historians, are on record as having to deal with this man that God calls my, behold, my servant. And so we need to understand that our faith rests on something besides thin air, that we have more going for our belief 
than they have for their unbelief. So look again at verse 1. And you will see coming down, he will bring forth justice to the nations. And so the skeptic will say, look around. Is there justice in our world? Is there justice in our land? In our society? And they will claim no. It's a failure. Three times in this reading, we will come across the word justice. But as we look around, we wonder. Let me give you an alternative. Come with me to Acts, the second chapter. And in verse 37, the people have heard a sermon. And they cry out, what shall we do? Peter responds, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Promises to you, to your children, and to all who are far off. Now, you drop down a ways, and you have in verse 41 this statement. They that gladly received his word were baptized. They were added 3,000 souls. Now question, what did the 3,000 souls have that has anything to do with justice? How about forgiveness of sins? How about no record of sin left? Forgiveness. Is that not justice from God's perspective to forgive? If you go back to verse 13, the very same chapter, you come across a group of people who said, oh, they're filled with new new wine. They're drunk. Now question, what did they lose? What did they lose in their statement? Oh, they're drunk. We don't don't want to listen to them. They lost justice. They lost the ability to have God himself through his son wash away their sins. And so in the prophecy that we're looking at, when the statement is made, he will bring forth justice, Jesus did on the cross some 50 days before Acts chapter 2, 3,000 gladly receive the word They receive justice. And that little sparkling group over here who has an answer for everything, they receive nothing. Justice escaped them. But let's go a step further in this verse. If you notice after it says, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. And by the way, one more I have almost forgotten. I want you to turn to this one. Turn over to 2 Peter. To 2 Peter chapter 1. You see, there was an eyewitness there at the Mount Transfiguration. And so I want to see what he has to say. He's writing. And so we come to 2 Peter chapter 1. And as I get old, my pages stick together. Come over to verse 16. Now this is Peter, same guy that went up on the mountain, same guy that saw. This is what he writes later, about 60, or about 30 years later. We did not follow cleverly devices, tales, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
When he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Pretty sure Peter was there 30 years before. And now later, he remembers it so vividly. And he wants his reader to understand that the evidence is firsthand. That the voice did say, just as prophesied, this is my beloved son. Okay, come back with me to our text of Isaiah chapter 42. And let's go down a little bit further. Come down to verse 2. And I want you to think about what is behind this statement. Verse 2, he will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. Now, why is it so significant that it will be a prophecy some 700 years before Christ that he would be quiet? Now, I ask you, is that any way to gain a following? To not be heard in the street? To not uh, raise your voice. Is that how politicians get a following? Is that how anybody gets a following? No. You've got to make yourself be known, be heard. And here's the Son of God prophesied in verse 2. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. And I suggest to you, that there's a possibility for that. When he does this, he draws attention, not by his words, but by his actions. And if you look at Matthew 11, 28 through 30, it just may be that it's passages like this that drew people then and draws people today. Jesus Great opportunity, offering, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If that could draw people in the first century, it draws us today. It draws us to want to be like him, to want to be him as our servant. And then drop down to verse 3. Again, he's described in a way that doesn't quite fit leaders, great leaders. Listen to verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now, if you look at that statement, what has it got to do with Jesus? A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly, dimly look, stop. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Even my voice is getting old. I have two examples that will help us to see this. That statement 
a bruised reed he will not break. Come with me to the city of Nain. And Jesus is approaching the city, and he meets a woman, a widow, coming out of the street, out of the city. A large crowd is behind her for support because she's going to bury her only son. And Jesus stops and he asks the woman if he can help. I'm paraphrasing now. And then he raises her son from the dead. Just a widow woman coming out of a town with a heavy burden on her heart. And Jesus stops. And he has compassion for her. Remember that word, compassion. And then you'll drop down and a, bru- a, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. In Matthew 14, there's a completely different picture of Jesus. He will feed 5,000 men. On the one hand, you have a widow woman who has lost her son, and he feels compassion. On the other hand, you have 5,000 people who haven't used very good sense. They have followed him out in the desert. They don't have any food to eat. What were they thinking? And Jesus has compassion. Tells one of his disciples, we'll feed him. And they did. Two pictures of Jesus. Both of them show what we have in verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. The 5,000 who followed, they're a dimly burning wick. It could go either way. It could be snuffed out in a moment. And here we're out in the desert with nothing to sustain life. And Jesus is off someplace else. But he wasn't. He was there. And so the prophecies are fulfilled as we look at Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then let's come down one more time. And this, I think, is the thrust of the lesson for us today. Look at verse 4. He will not be disheartened or crushed. He He will not be disheartened or crushed until he's established justice in the earth and coastlands will wait expectantly for him. I think that possibly when it says he won't be crushed, he won't uh, give up, he won't be disheartened. There may be a reason for that. In John chapter 4, two verses, verse 32 and 34, Jesus is at the, woman, at the well, and a woman is there, a woman who had several husbands. They conversed for a while. Jesus is there. The disciples have gone into the city to get food. When they come back, they discover Jesus is not hungry. He doesn't need their food. And then he responds this way. I have food that you don't know about. My food to do the will of him who sent me. Think about ourselves. It's tempting on occasion, isn't it? 
to be disheartened or to feel crushed. But Jesus was not. I'll give you another example. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when the mob was coming to arrest him and take him away, we told in John 18, verses 4 through 6, that Jesus would get up from his praying, collect his disciples, say it's time to go. The mob came and said, we're looking for Jesus. And he stepped forward and said, I am he. And John records that they fell back. Now, who's strong in that picture? Jesus stepping forward or the mob falling back? The passage prophesies Jesus will not be disheartened. In the passage from Matthew 12 that Freddie read a moment ago for us, there was a mob wanting to kill Jesus. And yet there was a crowd who wanted to follow him. Guess who won? The crowd that followed him. They won. How about those who wanted to kill him? It's a long ways off. And so the prophecy, he'll not be disheartened. He will not be crushed. And when you think of the resurrection, what do you think? Put in a tomb for three days. Surely, after all Jesus had been through, the bruising, the crushing, physical harm to his body, death, with, with nails driven through his hands and feet. And yet he came out three days later, triumphant. He wasn't crushed. He wasn't crushed. And when we come back to Acts 2 and verse 17, it says a few canceled it all off because they were just drunk with wine. And the multitude began to listen to the first gospel sermon. And 3,000 received justice. We have a few verses left. Verses 5 through 9. And so let's look at them and see what they tell us 700 years in the future. And by the way, as you look at verse 5, it is assurance of verse 6. If the evidence for verse 5 is there, then verse 6 is built on that. And so look at the two verses together. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens, stretched them out, spread out the earth and its offspring. Now watch for us, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Anything in there that is visible today? How about he created the heavens and stretched them out and spread out the earth in its offspring? And every single one of us has within it the rest of that verse who gives breath to the people and spirit to those who walk in it. The breath is other ways translated life life and spirit separates us from the animal kingdom in genesis chapter 1 god breathed into man's nostrils 
And man became a living soul. But then look at verse 6. How can we be sure of verse 6? Because we can go outside the door and see God's handiwork. The evidence is there. And so look at verse 6. I'm the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Speaking of Jesus. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open blind eyes. And we go on with Freddie's reading. To bring out prisoners from the dungeon, those who dwell in darkness from the prison. And I, I am the Lord. That's my name. I'll not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. We're going to save verse 9. But look back here at verse 6. Talking to Jesus, the prophecy, when he is in the garden, and he's praying, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Look at verse 6. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I'll appoint you as a covenant to the people. Did Jesus feel the touch of the master's hand in that garden? Is that the potential, this verse in the Old Testament, why Jesus could come through triumphant all that the next few days held for him? It's a beautiful statement. I will hold him by the hand. It takes us back to Chapter 40 and verse 9, 10, 11. He's a good shepherd. He cares for his sheep. But we have one more verse to look at. Obviously, justice has to do with verse 7 and 8. But now watch verse 9. Behold the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things before they spring forth. I proclaim them to you. We're in an Old Testament prophet. Isaiah prophesied to kings and rulers, to people who didn't want his message. But we want his message. His message is encouraging. His message is supporting. His message tells us that we have evidence, unshakable evidence, first in creation, that God is there. There is no other explanation. Let us add that verse that we looked at last week, Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 18. I did not create it a waste place, but a place to be inhabited. And that's what our earth is. And we may go to every place out there in space and we'll not find anything like our earth. And we have a line of evidence then. Look around and see that we have great evidence for the existence of the God we serve. And then take a look at this final line of evidence in Isaiah 
and fulfilled in the life of Christ. You ask an individual to look at Christ and tell you what they think. Some may think it's a myth that doesn't work very well in history outside of the Bible. In Roman history, Jewish history, he's there as a physical man doing amazing things. So Josephus says, perhaps you and I need to remember that Jesus will not be disheartened and he will not be crushed. And therefore, those who follow him should not be disheartened, should not be crushed. Two lines of evidence that justify who we are, what we believe in, what we're trying to be as children of that God, as servants with his servant in whom he is well pleased. I go back again to that passage that we mentioned earlier, Acts the second chapter. But before we do that, I have one other passage that I want to share with you. Come with me to the book of Philippians. Jesus is called my servant. And yet we do not want to lose sight of who he really is. And so consider this verse from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, down and following. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, took the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, he found an appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name. When we sing songs that have Christ as the theme, when we study from God's word about Christ, the servant of God. Don't forget that he's also God, the Son. And so we come back to Acts the second chapter. And the first occasion, the people were offered justice, just as we're offered justice to this day. 3,000 took advantage of the offer. On through the book of Acts, you will find multitudes. Let me tell you a personal little note that I learned yesterday. My great-grandfather was an elder in the Church of Christ in Fort Recovery, Ohio, in 1880. That's how old the church is. I have a record that I've shared with the deacons of a business meeting that the elders and the deacons got together and decided some things about the church. It was in the 1600s in England. We have a great heritage 
And now we have two great lines of proof that we're on the right track. The creation that is so visible to every single person who walks this earth, whether they take advantage of it or not. And we have Jesus the Christ, the man who came to this earth to be servant for you and me, for his father. What a wonder it is to be a child of God. If you're here this morning, that opportunity that the 3,000 found in Acts 2 is still open. Peter said it was for them and for their children and who are far off. We're far off in years from Acts 2. But the offer is still there of justice as only God can give it. If there's some way that you can be helped by this congregation in a spiritual way to be encouraged and to encourage us, we're going to sing an invitation song and it's just that. Someone will be here to meet you and give you a helping hand. Would you come while we stand? and what we say.